to jump in, and uh, I just felt like God was telling me to address the, thing, the things going on in Israel, uh, and to talk about that for a few minutes, and then go into the We Are Wesley theme for the week, but I wanted to do a few minutes of uh, what I felt like God laid in my heart to share about what's, what's occurring right now in the Middle East. Um, so, someone came up to me uh, last, the, er, this week, and, and said, you know, what, what do you think about what's going on? Are, are these the last days, you know? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 I don't know. I don't know about any of that. Uh, but there are some things we can learn from Scripture that do give us some indicators uh, to be reminded of, to be, uh, to, I think that's responsible. So I'm going to go through a few things. You might want to write some of these down, but the first thing to remember is that salvation, as Jesus said, salvation has come through the Jews. It's through the Jewish people that Christ was born, that Israel is Jesus' homeland. Um, And it's fascinating to me that Jerusalem, this little sliver of land in Israel, not a very large city, uh, causes such, it has such, it's played such a key role in uh, in world history, but also in the last days according to the Bible. Um, The city will be a focal point before Jesus does return. You see that throughout the scriptures. Uh, Zechariah 12 says this, God says, I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. You know, the opposition to the Jewish people is nothing new. We've seen it throughout history, uh, throughout the centuries. Uh, for Of course, Exodus 1, Egypt wants to destroy the Jews when Pharaoh gives the order to kill all the newborn uh, baby boys. In ancient Persia, in Esther chapter 3, modern-day Iran, they wanted to eradicate the Jews through the wicked plot of Haman in Esther chapter 3. And of course, the Holocaust and Hitler's final solution, which would result in 6 million Jews being murdered, And now you see more of this playing out in world history. It almost seems cyclical. But God always intervenes. God rose up Moses to help deliver the people from Egypt. God rose up Queen Esther to save the people from the evil plot of King Haman. And during, after the Holocaust, God raised up the Jews to have their own nation in 1948. So what should Christians be doing? Because you hear about these horrible things on the news and you feel pretty helpless there's, there's some things that we can do. The first is in Luke 21, 28, Jesus, in Luke, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus talks quite a bit about these last days type situations. And he says, when these things begin to take place, stand up, don't cower in fear, stand up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. To be alert, to be prayerful, to be focused, um, to be focusing on God and paying attention because Jesus did say, well, if you're going to read the New Testament, the, the early church always expected Jesus to return. Even 2,000 years ago, they, they anticipated his return. It's not like we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, but there is, this, there is this perpetual hope that Christ is going to return. He made that abundantly clear, but no one knows the day or the hour, as he said, that he will come like a thief in the night, and so we need to be ready. Have your, your lampstands full of oil, that sort of thing. There's a readiness um, that we need to have as Christians in a prayerful, loving spirit. And secondly, you can pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122.6, 
to pray for some sort of peace to happen in this conflict. Uh, pray for other superpowers not to get involved, to pray for these hostages, to pray for the, the children and the elderly and the people that are caught in this horrible situation. Um, so there are some things that we can be focused on, not in fear, but in faith, and to be trusting God and be praying for this situation and to be spiritually alert and ready for whatever may come. So today we're looking at uh, We Are Wesley, that we are, we are a Jesus-seeking people. And it's very true that we, all people, whether you go to church or not, are always seeking something or somebody or someone that we are all marching to somebody's beat, whether it's yourself or you're trying to listen to the voice of God or be led by the Holy Spirit or you're led by your politics or you're led by your money or you're led by even your children, good things. We're all marching to somebody's beat. And it's this natural pull, especially as human beings, physical creatures, well, physical and spiritual, but we have this pull to always want physical things, right? We feel this need to have material, material items to help us in our daily lives. Now, as Americans, we are, we're already wealthy, y'all. We are in the top few percent of the world. Uh, most of the world lives in less than a dollar a day. So we are all very, very wealth, wealthy people. You might be thinking, I don't really feel like it, Clark. I don't really feel like it. Well, but we are. We are, according to the whole world. But still, even so, we are always seeking the next thing and looking to gather resources for ourselves. Like, I was at Costco uh, the other day, and uh, these people were in a hurry, and they're rounding the corners with their carts, and this woman hits, she literally hit a lady with her cart on her leg. She hit her in the foot, and the lady's like, you hit my heel! And I was like, oh my gosh, should I get my phone out? Should I start to get ready to have a moment here to intervene in this situation? I'm like, look, put the Cheetos down, like, it's going to be okay, you know? I know they're on sale, but, you know, there's this natural, we're an anxious people, when it comes to materialistic things, that we feel this compulsion to gather and to seek after the, these things of the world. You know, and with Christmas coming next week, it is next week, by the way, so get ready, Christmas coming is next week, that is gonna be reach a fever pitch, this, this need to gather and have stuff. We are prone to hoarding. I mean, let's not forget toilet paper Armageddon of uh, COVID years. <laughs> we cannot find toilet paper anywhere, y'all. Some of y'all might still have some stockpiled. I don't know. Uh, you know, that we're prone to hoarding and to seek after the things that are temporal, but they're not bad. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus leads, uh, speaks on the teaching about really what are you seeking? And he compares seeking after material things with spiritual things. And he's really as you'll see, he's saying that the spiritual focus is more important than the material focus. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with having material things and providing for your families and things like that, but as you'll see here, he's really saying it's about priority. It's about seeking what matters most. Because at the end of the day, the end of my life, when I'm on my de deathbed, I don't want to be like, hey, I got toilet paper stockpiled in the, in the garage. Isn't that great? What? What? <laughs> As C.S. Lewis said, if you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. You know, there's this focus, all about focus spiritually. So in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about life, about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Can all those people say amen? I mean, come on. Today's trouble is enough for today. Talk about applicable teaching. Has anything changed? Not much. 2,000 plus years later, that still rings quite true. So he's saying what things to not worry about. Clearly he's saying don't be worried about what you'll eat or what you will wear Strive more for the things of God. But yes, God knows you need what you need, and he'll provide to you what you need in time. He'll add to you in time. He isn't saying don't eat food or don't wear clothes. I mean, Jesus hung out with Mary and Martha in their house, right? They ate food together. So he's not opposed to those things. We need provision, but he's saying let God be your striving Because when you say you're a Jesus-seeking person or a Jesus-seeking people, inevitably, other things should come in second because people do what's important to them. But as Americans, we do live in this tension of of materialism and spirituality, and it's the thing we walk every single day because we have so much. I mean, when other people from other countries come and see our grocery stores, They can hardly take it all in. I can hardly take it all in. I can't go to Publix or some of these stores sometimes because there's so much stuff. Like, do I really need this many choices for foot medication or toothpaste or cat food or whatever? I mean, it's it's wild, the abundance of, of options we have. I mean, we have the first world problem of having decision fatigue. You know, oh, my iPhone's not fast enough. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's like compared to the rest of the world, but we walk in this tension of materialism and spirituality, and and it's good to be reminded that this world is not our ultimate home. This world is not the ultimate real world. This world we live in is a world between worlds. Yes? Yes. It is not the real world. It is not all that there is. That this, like says, Jesus said, it's here today and gone tomorrow. That we, even as we sang earlier, like the flowers of the field. Many people make the false assumption that this world is all there is and all there ever will be. So people will do, will take this attitude of, I will drink and I will be merry, for tomorrow I will die. And therefore, the day is mine. Some people, that you've, if you have a materialistic attitude, you'll have these sorts of characteristics. You'll prize appearance over substance. You'll, you'll, you will elevate possessions over people. 
You, you will not think about the poor very often. Uh, you might even avoid them frequently. Uh, your, your life can look sort of like a closed stream that's been dammed up, and it's not being, you're, you're not being released to the world. Um, and if you do seek God, if you're a materialistic-focused person, you would rather have God's presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, rather than God's presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Essentially, it's a functional atheism that I want God's blessings, but I don't really need God's presence in my life. And I think some people live like that, that God is a sort of uh, Santa Claus in the sky. And it's like, well, there's so much more to knowing who God is than that. That, and in short, you can just have the wrong attitude and focus and priorities in life. And a Jesus-seeking person puts Jesus first. You hold every thought captive to him and seek to, with his strength, to live for him each day. As he said, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And it's interesting, in Matthew 6.33, which is maybe a life verse for me, and it's a great one to memorize, he doesn't say, seek me first. He says, seek God and his righteousness. He's essentially saying, seek the kingdom, seek the rule of God over your life. Subjugate yourself under his lordship. Let God rule your heart, your direction, your priority to seek his righteousness, to seek to become more like him, to seek to, to strive for the things of God in every aspect of your life, to seek his presence, to seek to know his ways. In all of these things of the world that we think are so vitally important, in time, they will be added to you when God determines that you need them. I mean, so much of Jesus' teaching is about this. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and it will be found. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who seeks, finds this promise of Jesus but keep the first thing the first thing. Continue to make Jesus your favorite. Make him your favorite. As I said, Christmas is next week, and uh, a classic of Christmas is the movie Elf. And one of my favorite scenes is Elf, Buddy, stating that Christmas is his favorite. Let's check it out. Wow, what's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. Now, (laughs) does Buddy go on to make work his new favorite? No, not at all. Work never becomes his new favorite. But I like that it's sort of similar to how we feel this pull of the world saying, make clothes and food and possessions your new favorite. And the Christian stands and go, no, Jesus is my favorite. He's my favorite. He's all I want to seek and know in this life. You know, when you talk about what does it mean to seek the kingdom and his righteousness, to seek after the rule and reign of Christ in your life. One time I heard a missionary speak at, in my seminary and 
she gave such great advice about what does that look like on a day-to-day basis. And she would say, go where you're called. Do the thing God has given you. Bloom where you're planted. Take what God has given you and make it beautiful and wait for him to add the things that you need. Leave when he opens the door. Walk in his righteousness, whatever you're, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. That to live in, under the righteousness of God, to seek after the righteousness of God, is not only an internal dialogue, but it's action. It's how you live. It's how you show your faith to the world around you and how you treat other people and how you speak the kingdom to the world around you. It's not merely something that's personal to you, but you go where you're called, you bloom where you're planted, you take what you've got and you make it work for the kingdom. And then when he opens the door, you follow his leadership. Because seeking Jesus' righteousness is better than just seeking the idea of Jesus. Knowing him is better than just knowing about God. And faith is what qualifies for those who want to seek the, seek the reign and the rule of Jesus in your life. It is an attitude of faith, of trust, of expectation. You're not trusting in your intelligence or your status or your money or your possessions or your power. It is simple faith. That is what pleases God in order to seek him on a daily basis with your life. You choose, say, God, I seek you with all my heart. I'm going to love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Such a simple idea. Even a child could do it, but so many adults overlook it. We overthink it. That Jesus said it's impossible for people to, it, to know the kingdom of God without a childlike faith. That we have to have an innocence each day with how we walk with Jesus. And it's done by faith. One day, when I'm in heaven, I want to seek out the guy that was the thief on the cross. Not the one, not the bad thief, the other one, right? I want to hear from this guy. To, for those of you who don't remember this story, Jesus is on the cross. There's, he's, he is juxtaposed by two men, two criminals, thieves, and they're all crucified. One of them is hurling insults at Jesus. Hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down off that cross and make this go away? And the other thief says, hey, he's done nothing wrong. He didn't deserve this punishment. Why don't you shut your mouth? (laughs) And they're having this dialogue. And then this thief turns to Jesus and says to him, teacher, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I want to talk to this man. I want to get to know him a little bit. Because when he got to heaven... I imagine the angel that greeted him said, how, how did you get in? Who are you? Who told you you could be here? Uh, we have a problem here in sector eight. Can you uh, bring my supervisor? And here comes the archangel, comes and says, who told you to come? How did you get here? Can we see your spiritual passport? Thank goodness there's no TSA before we get into heaven. Why don't you take your shoes off? Take off your belt, none of that. You know, I'm sure the archangel looked at this guy and said, have you been through confirmation? Do you have proof of your baptism? Can you explain the doctrine of justification by faith, personal holiness? The man on the thief, the thief on the cross, I'm sure he said, well, 
the man on the cross told me I could come. So here I am. I think sometimes a Jesus-seeking people are people that need to be reminded that we are just like that man. We are no better or no different than he is. The man on the cross told me I could come. That I need the witness of that thief on the cross to be reminded that I'm, I'm just as much of a thief as that man. I'm just as guilty. I need to be reminded that faith is all that is required because if it's not required, then I begin to trust more in myself. I begin to trust in more my own provision and my own ability and my own pride than seeking after my own needs or ability, which is a result of my fallenness anyway. To be a Jesus-seeking people are people that are deeply humble, people that are servants, that are reminded that all that you have has been given to you and when you leave this earth one day, you will, take, you will only take Christ with you. It means that as a people, we should be a people of preaching, teaching, and healing, just as Jesus had a ministry of preaching, teaching, and healing, and the apostles had a ministry of preaching, teaching, and healing. And if we say we follow Jesus, then we should be preaching, teaching, and healing, just as they did. To be like the thief... Without the cross, I have nothing. Without the invitation of Jesus saying, today you'll be with me in paradise, I have nothing to offer. Without the grace of God, you and I don't know what we don't know. Without the grace of the Holy Spirit, the Son has never been revealed to you. The man on the cross told me I could come. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, those who seek righteousness will be filled. To be encouraged by that, that if we're a seeking people, Jesus says, you'll be filled because God wants you. Some people say, how do I pray in God's will? How do I know God's will for my life? That's one answer. When you seek the righteousness of God, Jesus says, you will be filled. Let's pray together. God, as a people, we are a people that continue to seek you. To continue, Lord, to walk in humble, your humble ways, that we are a people, Lord, that are pure recipients of your grace on our behalf. God, in many ways, we are simply beggars telling other beggars how to find food. And thank you, Jesus, that you tell us that we will be filled. So I pray for anyone here and now that's in need of deep, deep healing uh, within them, deep healing of wounds from the past, Lord, I pray that they would know, they, if, they, if they seek you, that you will be found. As Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he is near. Call upon him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the wicked forsake their ways. The word repent simply means to turn around. Do a 180 to move in the other direction. Holy Spirit, help somebody, somebody's today do that, to repent, to turn around and turn toward you, to run into your arms, which have always been there, and that you, nothing will separate us from your love. Hell can't, death can't, wars can't, 
Thank you for your grace that calls us to yourself. In Christ's name we pray, amen.